What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I chat with Jessie Jean. She is a certified eating psychology coach who helps women learn how to conquer binge eating. She also has some wonderful content around body image and positive self-talk and acceptance, and that's going to take up the bulk of our conversation today. We talk about why how we look is so freaking important to us and how we can work on recognizing and reminding ourselves that we are more than our physical bodies. We talk about how we can reconcile having fitness, fat loss, and physique goals alongside a healthy mindset around our body image. We also talk a little bit about the health at every size movement, as well as how to identify if you can or should make some improvements with your relationship with food. I know you guys are going to love the episode as much as I did. Enjoy. Jesse, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, where, where are you from? How are things doing with Corona and shutdown and how's everything over there? Yeah, I'm in Denver, Colorado, and it is, um, it's okay. Uh, cases are spiking as I assume they are in most places right now. Um, but we're doing what we can to try and, you know, stop or slow the spread of everything. So things are all right. I'm thankful to be in a place where I can escape and go to my cabin in the mountains and just get away for a little bit. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the situation here. Is, is, or is the primary or all of your business online at this moment? Yes, everything is online. So thankfully I haven't been affected. I know so many individuals have, but yeah, everything that I do has always been online. So I've always worked from home. So I haven't experienced much of a change. The few places I did like to go, I'm not able to go. So that's been frustrating, but really grateful for being in the situation that I am. Absolutely. I have been hybrid in person and online for a long mm -hmm. time. And in the new year, I guess I've been dragging my feet, but in the new year, I'm going to be fully online and we're going to take just, you had mentioned a log cabin, like my girlfriend and I were going to go somewhere where they have internet access, but nothing else and just hide away in, the, in like the woods somewhere for a month. And I'm very looking forward to that. Get away yes. from all this craziness. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Um, and I just, I just wanted to say before we start, I, cause I know there's a lot of coaches who quite a few coaches who listen to the podcast. Like I've been coaching people for a long time and I messaged you about this earlier, but I wanted to say it on air is that I've been coaching people for a long time and I feel like the longer I coach and it's not that I feel guilty or that I feel like working on body comp goals or physical goals is wrong. It's mm -hmm. just becoming increasingly unacceptable from my standpoint, mm -hmm. from my point of view to sure. work on those body comp goals without either beforehand or alongside those goals, working on the headspace, the psychology, the, the body image, the self-love mm -hmm. or whatever you want to term it. And I just wanted to say thank you for all you do. And it's had a really positive impact on me as a coach. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Mm, totally. Yeah. I think um, there's nothing, you know, I always tell the individuals that I work with, I say there's nothing wrong with having a desire to, you know, work on your body or to have fitness goals. The problem lies in when we have these obsessive compulsive tendencies, which become so common when we're working on, you know, specifically when the focus is weight loss and and to be able to understand how to have a healthy relationship with food and your body is is so important. It's critically important in order to have long-term success, even with body composition goals. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that a lot of coaches are understanding the need for uh, really prioritizing the psychology behind everything because we are not robots who can just, you know, plug in certain calorie numbers and workouts and go from there. We're multidimensional human beings who need mental, emotional, and, and spiritual support in our evolution process as well. Awesome. Super, super well said. And we're, I'm sure we're going to break that down. Before we get started, I know a little bit about your story, but only just from following you on Instagram. 
I want to hear a bit more. Tell us about your background, your story, how you became so passionate about what you do. Yeah, totally. So I have struggled. I struggled with um, my relationship with food and my body for over 10 years. It started when I was in high school and um, it, I kind of got into struggling with my body in sort of a unique way. Um, what happened was I was very much so identified as a perfectionist and um and this was starting from the time I was a freshman in high school. My parents, although well-intentioned, said things like, you know, if you want to go to college, you're going to have to get scholarships in order to do so. We don't have the money to send you. And I grew up, um, I always had everything I ever needed, but my parents didn't have a whole lot of money. And so I grew up seeing this and um, thinking, man, I really want to be able to make something of myself. I want to be able to go to college. And so I took it very seriously when they said that, that I needed to be responsible for getting scholarships. So from the time that I was a freshman in high school, I put myself in anything and everything I possibly could. I did community service. I was in student government. I did athletics. I did advanced AP classes. I was just trying to do anything and everything I could in order to get scholarships. And, um, and I tried to be the best in everything that I did. And from the time I was 14 years old, I started sleeping like four or five hours a night because I didn't have time to be the best in everything um, and sleep eight hours a night. So I started sleeping very little. And when you sleep, when you don't sleep a lot, um, you need energy from somewhere else. So I started to turn to food and caffeine to sustain me, to give me energy. And my body was growing. Um, I was naturally a really petite little girl. My mom's very small, um, but my body started to change. I was obviously a growing girl, but I was also not sleeping very well. And I was eating a lot a lot. And so as my body started to change, I really didn't like what was happening. I started to feel ashamed of it. And that's when I started to try and restrict my food intake. Well, I'd be able to do that for a little bit. And then I would snap and I would end up binge eating. And then I would feel really guilty. And then I would go back to trying to um, restrict my food intake and diet. And then I would snap and then I would binge and overeat. And I would, you know, I would eat in secret to the point where my I was sick to my stomach. And I was so embarrassed by what I was doing. And I didn't even know that it was called binge eating at the time. I thought I was the only one in the world that was struggling with these really weird tendencies with food where I would hide food. I would sneak food. I would chew food. I would spit it out. I would hide food at the bottom of the trash can. I was doing all these weird things. And, um, and I was very, very ashamed of it. And I thought, well, once I get into college, everything is going to change because I'll have made it to college and I'll be able to, it'll be a little bit easier and I'll be in control of the food scene. And, like I just had this idea that once I got to college, things would get better and they only continued to get more intense. My be my perfectionist behaviors continued. I felt like, well, I have to crush college if I want to get a good job. And so I put my head down and I grinded and now the food, like managing food was up to me. My parents weren't buying groceries anymore. I was taking care of myself and, um, the cycles just continued to intensify. The, the, the binges were more intense. And then my compensatory behaviors from living on cardio machines and obsessively working out and trying to restrict myself like that. I tried more intense diets. Um, and then I was doing more intense things. I would, when I would really be struggling with these impulses, I would steal my roommate's food that I'd feel so ashamed and so guilty just doing all of these things that were leaving me feeling absolutely crazy. Like what the heck is wrong with me? Uh, and I was succeeding in all other areas of my life, but I couldn't figure out this one area of my life. 
And on one of my darkest days in college, I remember questioning whether life was even worth it because I was so sick and tired of the mental struggle that I was dealing with. And nobody knew on the outside, succeeding, I had a job, I was, you know, doing well. But on the inside, I was really struggling with feeling like I was crazy because I intellectually knew, you know, I didn't want to do the things with food that I was doing, but yet I felt this impulse. I felt compulsive in doing these things. And it was just a cycle that I couldn't seem to get out of. And I remember thinking, if this is the thing that I have to live with for the rest of my life, I don't know if I can continue living. Like, I don't know if I can cope with having to deal with this the rest of my life. And that was when I, um, I ended up going to a conference when I was in college with my mom. It was a Christian women's conference. And one of the speakers there was talking about this book called The Last Addiction. And and I thought, you know what, I'm going to buy this book because at the time my mom was really struggling with alcoholism. And I thought, I want to understand addiction a little bit better. Well, when I was reading this book, I started to feel like somebody understood my brain. And I was like, wow, even though they're talking about drugs and alcohol and all these different addictions, I feel like I can really relate to the crazy experiences that these individuals are explaining. And I started to see what I was dealing with in light of addiction. Like maybe I'm addicted to food. Like I feel this compulsive thing with it. And and that kind of sent me down a different path. And the years passed and I tried different things and I went, I put, I mustered up all of the courage I could possibly find within me to put myself in therapy. I wanted to get better. I ended up going to Overeaters Anonymous, which is a um, is is like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but for overeaters. And while therapy and OA was well-intentioned, it didn't help me change my behaviors. I was still doing these things with food that I was so frustrated with. That's when I stumbled upon um, macros and flexible dieting. And I thought, man, this is it. This is my way out. And that's what I initially thought. I thought, man, I, if I can eat whatever I want, as long as it fits in my macros, then this sounds a whole lot like freedom. And so it was a step in the right direction for me. So I'll never bash what I used to do there. And I, and I I know a lot of people in my space, in the intuitive eating kind of health at every size, body confidence movement, they will bash that. And I do believe that macro counting can be obsessive and it can also cause eating disorders. However, for me, it was a step in a better direction. And I started to make a little bit more peace with food. Foods weren't, I didn't see foods as bad as I used to because, well, as long as they fit my macros, I'd be okay. So I started to release a little bit of the pressure, um, but then I decided that competing would solve my problems. And so I got into bikini competitions and that's when my struggles with binge eating um, were amplified because you're just dieting to the extreme. But I thought, you know what, if I put, if I give myself enough pressure to stand on stage in a bikini in front of a panel of judges and an audience, well, for sure, I'll be disciplined to stick to my diet, which I was. And immediately following my competitions, I would weight rebound. I would blow up. I would gain tons of weight in a very short amount of time. My hormones were out of whack. My relationship with food was the worst it had ever been. And I thought, I don't, I I thought the only way to continue to keep up with this body is to continue competing. So I did that for years. And then eventually I just got so burnt out that I decided I I need to figure a way out. Like I need to figure out what balance actually looks like. And that is when I started down the path of really healing my relationship with food and my body. 
that was wonderful. Thank you very much. I really feel like I got to know you very quickly there. That's awesome. I knew the com the competition side of things, and I appreciate the kind of the windy road there. And I wrote down a couple of things while you're talking. Is one is the recognition that macros was a step in the right direction, but also recogni recognizing that it isn't the end of the road, and it, it certainly can have a dark side. Absolutely agree with that 100%. And and it was almost to the point where as your negative habits were getting, were, were peaking, you're, you're, you're competing, you're trying to get as absolutely lean as possible. Those negative habits are peaking and the, maybe the worst they've ever been. It's probably the same time when those habits are getting the most positive reinforcement, uh, reinforcement externally. And so that's, totally. that seems like a really tough snowball to, to kind of unravel for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You're getting a ton of praise for being so disciplined and you're getting a ton of praise for losing all this weight and, and doing something that's so challenging, like, you know, competing in a, a bikini competition and and then the judges are recognizing you and then I went on and I earned my pro card and then I felt like man I got to continue and it was just like you get sucked into this yeah. world mm -hmm. and um yeah and it was uh, these behaviors have had a very dark side to them but I was receiving a lot of praise for what I was doing for sure yeah definitely and you had mentioned something on your Instagram the other day about there are some people who can really treat it as a sport and be neutral about it and it can enhance oh. their life and it can give them a wonderful community. But I, I, I think we're in a complete agreement that for the most part, that's not the case. And it's masking, if not exacerbating a lot of these negative uh, uh, relationships with food and body image. And that is kind of what I, what I wanted us to talk about today is body image. And as I was making some notes, I'm like, this is such a broad topic, but I think it starts with this question of, and, and you can go down any rabbit hole you want with it as far as your answer is like, why is what we look like so freaking important to us? Like, where does that come from? And and mm -hmm. and then we can maybe talk about how we can get to a place where we recognize that we are more. Mm, yeah, it's it comes um, very simply from um, multi-billion-dollar industries that profit off of our insecurities. So it's a very it's very a very lucrative um, thing for these big companies from the diet industry to. Um, uh, the beauty industry, the anti-aging industry, it's, it's the fashion industry. It's very lucrative for them to make us feel insecure because if we feel insecure and they're selling the solution, whether that's, you know, products or services, well, then all we have to do is pull out our card to solve this pain point. Just pull out our credit card and we can solve this pain point. So it makes sense for these companies, big billion dollar companies to make us feel this way. The diet industry is an $80 billion a year business. Like it's big money. And so if we, if we were made to believe that we are okay in a variety of shapes and sizes with different styles, looking different ways, if we were allowed to age, like if, if we were made to believe that we were okay and we were worthy, well, we would stop spending a lot of the money that we're spending. So once we understand that this is coming from um, industries that are profiting off of our insecurity, it, it makes a lot of sense why we continue to receive messages uh, promoting, you know, things like changing our body or um, looking a certain way. And so when we know that we become a little bit more empowered but it doesn't take away the fact that that pressure is all around us and we've all been indoctrinated to believe in one specific ideal and it's a very it's a very narrow ideal for both men and women it's like if we can look this way then everything we want will be ours very important thing so why are you know why are perfume ads so sexualized well if you look this way and you wear our perfume well you're going to get this girl or you're going to have 
this type of relationship. And so these subliminal messages are coming from us at every angle from commercials to social media, to, um, to billboards, to magazines, it's coming at us from every kind of every faucet it possibly could. And this is why we're believing that we're not enough and that we need to, you know, we need to purchase these things in order to be more. We, we probably consciously don't think those things, but subconsciously it's kind of programmed. And so how do we get to this place where we actually start seeing ourselves as more than a body? Well, we have to become media literate. We have to understand, um, how the media works and we have to understand what the intentions are and stop believing everything that's sold to us. We have to become responsible technology users. Technology is geared to create tech addictions. There's a whole field of psychology that's currently cropping up that's addressing tech addiction because tech is still such a wild, wild west. We only had the iPhone, what, 10, 11 years ago. And so we're we're addicted to these devices and we're receiving so many messages on a daily basis. We have to become literate in what these messages are saying to us on a subliminal sense. What's the motive behind the message that we're receiving? We have to become responsible with how we use technology. And we have to start um, understanding uh, the power of our visual diet. So the people that you're following on social media, the things that you're looking at and reading and listening to and taking in, they're impacting what your brain believes is normal and ideal. And if it's a very narrow thing, if all you see are your fitness idols on social media or these beautiful people that uh, look one certain way, um, then the brain the brain, the way the brain works is it just takes the sum of everything you see. It averages it out and it says, okay, this is what's normal. This is what's ideal. This is the mold that you should fit. So if you can start unfollowing people that are causing you not to feel good enough, diversify your social media feed and, and start paying attention to what you're visually taking in, you can start to change the way that you feel about yourself. And negative body image really is just body obsession. We're so focused on our bodies. We need to start seeing more in ourselves. So I always tell people the best affirmations for body image are ones that take you off focusing your on your body and into focusing on other aspects of who you are. So what are some of the roles that you play in life? What are some of your titles? What are some of your passions? What are some of the things that you have overcome? If we can start to see ourselves as multidimensional beings instead of just an image. Like a, we're not an image. Our body is an experience. Our life is an experience. Then we can start to move beyond this obsession with the way that we look. I, I absolutely love that. And I've had that thought. And I think you put it really into a place that now I can understand it more. It's like, I've always felt that there was a little bit of ah, hypocrisy is the wrong word, but more of like a not as productive when it comes to affirmations, because they are still about your body sometimes. And this is I, this yeah. idea of like, and I, I, I would love for you to regurgitate this back in a way that makes more sense. But I feel like it's not necessarily rewriting the code and starting to love your body and it might be and there are components of that but it might be just the devaluing of how important that is and and moving how i look into a pile of a whole bunch of other things that make up who you are instead of it being atop of the mountain by itself and it that act of having these affirmations of i am beautiful and my arms are great and my face is beautiful or whatever it is like they are still reinforcing that this thing how we look is atop that mountain and well yeah. maybe it's better than nothing I, i'm not sure but it's not doing the job of of devaluing or, or bringing it back down to just one factor of who we are. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what, where a lot of people get tripped up when they're trying to affirm themselves or they're trying to move into a more positive place with how they think about themselves. They're trying to go from a negative body image into a positive body image, but both are just body obsession. And so we the, we have to start seeing ourselves as so much more and our, we have to remember we were not born to be beautiful human beings there's so much more to us we offer value to the world in so many other ways we're not ornaments like we were not designed to be on display for other people to like the way that we look we have purpose we have life meaning we have a role to play some of us are mothers some of us are um are our children we're friends we're career people we have passions like we're we're dimensional and so to think that all you are is an ornament or an object to be viewed is is selling yourself so short of what your potential is and what you have to offer and so to move in this direction of healing body image we want to go to this place first of body neutrality and that's that is what you're saying of kind of devaluing the this emphasis on um on um, the way that we look and the way that we start to do that is we can start to become neutral. So you don't have to love your body to have a healthy body image. There's things about my body that I don't love. And, but I know that I'm so much more than that. And so it's just like, yeah, I don't love the roles. I don't love the cellulite, but for crying out loud, I'm not going to let that keep me from living my life. Like I have so much more to go out and do. I have friends and family and passions and things to see. And, and so the, this neutrality, it's, it's a good stepping stone to go from, okay, I hate this about my body to, all right, don't love this. Don't love the roles. Don't love this. Don't love that. Don't love the saggy arms, whatever. But it, I'm more than that. I don't have to love it because a lot of times when you're trying to say affirmations about I'm beautiful or I'm this or I'm that, it feels super inauthentic and it's not setting. So you're trying to say these inauthentic affirmations that you don't actually believe. And so instead I, I challenge people who are struggling with body image. We did this in my free um, holiday morning routine challenge group. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing these six minute a day um, morning routine videos. And in one of them, I said, okay, we're gonna write nine affirmations for when you are triggered and you're starting to go down the negative body image spiral. And the, the affirmations go like this. You're gonna write three affirmations that start with I am, and then insert a title or a role. I am a daughter, I am a nurse, I am a whatever. Are those believable? Do you believe that in your core? Like, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm for sure a daughter. Like nothing in me has this visceral reaction of like, no, that's not true, that's inauthentic. It's like, no, I'm, that's true. You can go a step further. And if you believe you're a loving daughter, like you can bolster it a little. Like, yeah, I'm a loving daughter or I'm a genuine, authentic, true, loyal friend. So three affirmations that start with I am, three affirmations that start with I love. And this is just helping you see that you're more than your body. What do you love? What are your passions? I love to be in nature. That's an affirmation that helps remind you that you are more than just a body. Like you have things you like in life. So three affirmations that start with, I love, and then three affirmations that start with, I have overcome. And then what is it that you've overcome? And then anytime you're triggered with body image, let's repeat some of those to ourselves and just remind ourselves, like, there's a whole lot more to me than, than the way that I look. I love that. I, that was going to be a question and I might still ask it, but that was a wonderful one. I think that that's a really uh, applicable thing that people can do. Um, mm -hmm. And something that you said that I think I want to just repeat for my own reminder is that like 
you don't, and, and you can rephrase it, but you don't have to love your body. You just have to recognize that you're more. And I think that mm -hmm. that's, I think that if people think of it in a dichotomous way of, I have to love myself and I have to love the cellula and the rolls and the saggy arms or whatever it is. And if I don't love it, then I am not able to get to this place where I see other people with all oh, this self-love and I accept myself wholeheartedly 100%. And I think the word accept and love my, like love my body versus accept myself and accept that I am more, they're different things. And I think people hear, I think people think that they have to love everything about their body all the time. And if they don't, they almost reinforces feeling bad about their inability to get there. And I think for mm -hmm. you to say, you don't have to love your body. You just have to recognize that you're more. I think that is the, that is the step that like you I'm sure you talk about brings people towards that body neutrality because I think actually would you say, I think that neutrality is a really important word because it's not about necessarily loving it's about just making sure that it's like you said I might not love this thing and and that's okay because this is just one thing um and a lot of it is stuff we can or can't do anything about and it's not that's a different story it's not about whether you can or can't do something anything about it it's just you don't have to love your body you just have to recognize that you're more Mm -hmm, totally. And it's okay also to have fitness goals or body composition goals. Like those things are okay. And I think the message, I think this message gets a little skewed when we're, when we're trying to bridge the gap between the fitness industry and those who are preaching this intuitive eating body acceptance, health at every size narrative. And what I, always remind my clients as I say, look, you're allowed to have fitness goals and you don't have to feel bad about those. I have physical goals. Like I would like a bigger butt. I would like stronger legs. Like I would, I, I would like these things, but they're no longer things that, um, they're no longer things that make me feel like I'm not enough if I don't have them. And so they've, they've settled into a very healthy place in my heart and mind where it's like, yeah, I have these goals, but they're just that they're goals. I don't give them too much energy. I'm disciplined towards taking care of myself and my health, but no longer do I feel like I have to do those things in order to earn my worth or to earn my value or to be enough for somebody else to love me. Like they no longer hold that weight. They're kind of just, um, the energy I give them is a lot less than what I used to. Yeah. And that, that's a great segue. That's absolutely what I was going to ask next is where does fitness and, 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 and nutrition and body composition, how do we reconcile having some of those physical goals while maintaining or cultivating a healthy body image? Is it something that precedes having those physical goals or is it something that can be worked along uh, on alongside it and how can one traverse that that spectrum of not being at a place of body neutrality but having physical goals like how can they get to a place where they can like you said where it's it's not coming from a place of i don't feel worthy and i need this thing and i'll be happy when and i'll love myself when like how does one begin that path towards those physical goals coming from a place that's not sending them into that like dark mindset. Mm -hmm. It's first, we have to really work on our, really our relationship with food, our relationship with body. And I always say, it's not about, um, it's not about food. It's not about, um, fitness. It's about how we feel about food and how we feel about fitness. And so I always ask myself, what's my intention behind why I'm eating this or why I'm doing this? What is the energy behind why I'm working out? If it's fear based, if it's, I don't feel good enough, or I'm doing this because I'm afraid if I don't, whatever, then there's a problem there. And this is where we have to, um, this is where we have to look at it and say, 
okay, what is my energy and what's my intention? Because if my energy is such that, um, I it's, it's more of a scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset, we need to work on the mindset around this. And, and I also like, I'm a big proponent of learning how to work in sync with the brain and understanding how our brain works. And Lindsay and Lexi Kite are two twin sisters who founded um, Beauty Redefined. They have their PhDs, they studied body image. And one of the things they found in their research is that when we make weight loss the primary goal it's very much so an oversimplification of what it is that we're actually striving after. And it creates pressure internally that eventually causes us to snap and wind up doing things like binge eating and overeating. So I, if we want to work in sync with the way that our mind works, then we need to kind of dissect our goals and not let this oversimplification of weight loss keep us stuck in these cyclical patterns of diet, binge, diet, binge. And so instead we need to start breaking these goals down. Like, what do you think weight loss is going to give you that you can't have now? And, and some of those things are, well, I want to feel confident or I want to feel, I want to feel good to go out and date, or I want to feel strong, or I want to feel able. And if we can start making some of, or I need to take care of my health. If we can start breaking this down and instead saying, okay, what are some of the um, ways that you want to feel? A goal is I want to feel more confident. Okay, great. Can we focus on that goal? What if I want to, you know, what if I need to focus on my health and my cholesterol's too high? Okay, let's focus on a cholesterol goal. What if I want to focus on, um, um, you know, getting stronger or improving my cardiovascular strength? Okay, great. Let's focus on improving our cardiovascular strength. Let's focus on being able to lift more. Let's focus on behavior-based goals. Let's focus on, if we want to focus on um, fitness. Let's focus on performance-based and athletic goals. If we're pri if we're, if our sole focus is aesthetics and weight loss, just from what we see in the research, it's pressure inducing and it's, it's a, a short-term solution. So we can focus on these other behavior-based goals and these, um, health goals and these athletic and, 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 you know, fitness goals, we can focus on those and a byproduct of those may very well be our body composition changing, our weight changing. But when weight and aesthetics is our primary focus, we just see in the research that it's a, a, a short lived, it's a short lived thing. And so instead, let's learn how to work in sync with how our mind works. And if we're struggling in our relationship with food and we're trying to heal that and we're trying to pursue fitness and health, what we have to understand is how to bake our cake in the right order. If you have a, if you're struggling with food and I always, people will say, well, I don't really know if I'm struggling with food. I don't really know if I'm a binge eater. What I always say is instead of trying to diagnose yourself with an eating disorder, first, let's understand you're not disordered. Um, none of us were born disordered. You might be engaging in behaviors that are kind of self-sabotaging, but they're totally correctable. And so I always say to understand whether or not you have um, unhealthy tendencies in your relationship with food, you can just ask yourself a series of questions. The first question is, do I ever feel a sense of a loss of control when it comes to food? Like I intellectually know what I want to do, but physically I feel this impulse to do something that I don't really want to do, but I do it anyway. Do I ever feel guilt or shame or fear for the, the behaviors I'm engaging in with food? Um, do I tend to hide what I'm doing with food and do it in secrecy? Do I obsessively feel like I have to check the calories and the macros and everything that's in food before I feel safe eating it? Um, do I 
do I engage in compensatory behaviors to make up for what I did with food? Um, do I ever feel neurotic around food? Do I feel anxious with food? Um, do I ever snap and numb out with food? So if you can answer yes to any of those questions, here's the deal. You're not disordered, but you do have an opportunity to heal your relationship with food and reprogram your brain and to bake your cake in the right order. So you can have, and I call it mountaintop living, where you can be confident in your own body and have an easy and effortless relationship with food. That has to start with you reprogramming your brain and learning mental reprogramming tools. You cannot reprogram your brain and be in a calorie deficit simultaneously because when you're in a calorie deficit, your brain is firing signals telling you to eat, which is a normal and healthy mechanism. The brain is saying the lower part of our brain, our animalistic reptilian brain does not say, oh, my human is dieting for weight loss purposes. That part of the brain, your prefrontal cortex says that your prefrontal cortex knows that you're dieting for weight loss purposes. Your lower brain, all it, it, all it's responsible for is keeping you alive, survival mechanism. So that lower part of the brain says, my human is starving. I'm going to send them impulses to eat so that they go out and they find food and they feed me. And those impulses, when you're struggling with an unhealthy relationship with food, feel very much so like binge eating impulses. So we have to at least be at a calorie maintenance in order to reprogram the brain to get to a healthier place with food. And then we can look at how do we pursue our, our fitness goals from a place of, um, you know, a, a, a brain space that's set up for success in one, instead of one that'll keep you on those all or nothing cycles. Amazing. Definitely agree with that. I think a calorie deficit is not the time to try and reprogram your brain. You are already in a place where, like you said, food seeking behavior is going to be increased and that part of your brain is programmed to keep you alive. And those food seeking behaviors are a totally natural response. And a calorie deficit is not the right time to work on your relationship with food. It, it just is not. It's a, it's a, like you said, it induces a scarcity mindset, not an ab abundance mindset. And it's mm -hmm. just not, you're not in a place to reprogram your brain and make some of those things, those changes, the relationship with food changes that you need to make. Um, I love that you said that. I definitely think that that's something that needs to be echoed because there are a lot of people, listen, you can have fitness, maybe fitness goals, like you said, alongside of relationship with food-based goals, but mm -hmm. those fitness goals can't be in the context of calorie deficit. We can have performance goals. We can have strength goals. We can have endurance goals. We can have whatever that is, but totally. something that is uh, inherently going to put us in a position, in a mindset, in a brain space that's not conducive for rewiring some of those positive mindsets around food, it's just not going to happen in a calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. when, yeah. when it comes to type of exercise that you, let's say you're working with somebody who's always been in a, a and I love that you said compensatory uh, actions, because I think that's very huge in both directions. I think there, you, you find a lot of people who are exercising for something they ate. They're compensating later with exercise or the opposite. They are, they didn't exercise and they're compensating with not eating. Like, how do we get to a point where people are exercising for some other reason other than burning calories or, or is, is for you the the bottom of the pyramid fun, move your way, move yourself in a way that you enjoy, move yourself in a way that like makes you feel good about what your body can do. Like where does that conversation start with you and a lot of your clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I say, you know, movement needs to be fun in order to be sustainable long-term. I used to feel like I had to work out in a certain way. I had to be extremely sore to feel like I did anything productive. I felt like I had to do cardio. I felt like I had to do strength training. And I, when I was healing my relationship with exercise, I, 
I had to give myself permission to experiment with other things, trying a workout class if I wanted, trying a dance class if I wanted, you know, trying yoga, not feeling like I had to be sweating from head to toe. I, I gave myself permission to explore other forms of movement to see what felt best for me. And ultimately what I ended up coming to was kind of a hybrid approach. I like strength training because I like to feel strong in my body. I like being cardio, it, like fit cardiovascularly so that I can go out and I can hike and I'm not out of breath. Um, but I also like engaging in things like yoga, which I never allowed myself to do because I felt like it wasn't useful. But now my body feels so much better that I've incorporated some different things into to the way that I work out. I um, recently bought a subscription to a um, online dance platform, which has been so fun to just learn how to, to have a workout and just move my body and dance and listen to good music. Like that's been really fun. Um, but when it comes to figuring out what works for you, I think it's Anytime we're saying things like, I, I should go do this, whenever you have the word should in your vocabulary, it's shame inducing. So instead, if we can start focusing on some more conscious language, it's going to change how we feel. So I could go and weight lift. I also could go and do this. What do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? And yes, there we need to be disciplined and learning to be kind to ourselves and give ourselves grace doesn't um, negate the fact that discipline is a very beautiful quality and discipline equals freedom in a lot of ways. Um, but when we live in this kind of this hardcore, like we're punishing ourselves in everything that we do, it's really not sustainable over the long run. So what do you like to do now get consistent because the brain's always going to want to go down the path of least resistance. So find some accountability, but make sure you're enjoying what you're doing as well, instead of constantly dreading it. Awesome. Excellent. And I'm going to ask you something, a small pivot here, but you had mentioned the health at every size movement. And I'd love to get your take on, I feel like there's, again, a small minority maybe um, who put some people who maybe they are overweight or they just want to lose weight in a position where they feel like that's not okay. And that mm -hmm. this pursuit of changing one's body is turning one's back on one's body. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and how, how does how would you speak to that person and tell them that you know it is okay under XYZ circumstances and potentially, like you said, maybe there's stuff that we have to work on beforehand to get to that point. Like how how do you feel about that that situation where you have somebody who does maybe and we can speak specifically to fat loss because I think it is a large, you know, it's it is something that a lot of people want. Um and and maybe feeling like that person feels bad about wanting that. Uh, how are they allowed to, how do they get to a point where they can have that and accept that it's okay for them to want that? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think this is what I don't like about the divide between the, um, the health at every size movement, the fitness industry, there's a lot of uh, tension. And, um, my stance is that, so health at every size also has a lot of, um, uh, misconceptions. It does not mean everybody is healthy at every size. It means health comes in a variety of sizes and, and, for me, I could be unhealthy at this size. Somebody else could be very healthy in a body much larger than mine. And so health comes in a variety of sizes. And we know that uh, the BMI uh, the B BMI metric is really, really quite useless. And if you understand the history of where BMI was developed, it's an oversimplification um, for kind of determining health that has actually done a lot more harm than good. And it's, it's uh, basically, it's kind of fueled by insurance companies. And it's, it, it, when you look into the history of it, it's just, um, 
It's not very, it's, it's not, not very comprehensive. It's not very comprehensive. It's very no. basic, oversimplified. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very basic. And it's causing a lot of people to feel really crappy about themselves and doctors are using it because it's super, it's a super simplified Frank. thing to tell people. And, um, but it, it, it causes way more confusion and way more harm than it does good. So, so held at every size is saying that there is a variety of sizes that, um, people can find health in, but I might not be healthy at every single size. And I, I, I've been different sizes and I haven't been healthy. Um, but Basically, if if you're in a body where your where your weight is impacting your health, it's really important to look at. And again, weight is an oversimplification. Oftentimes, the medical industry is also impacted heavily by diet culture, and we have to understand and be our own best advocate. So while weight might correlate to certain health challenges, it doesn't always mean that it's causing those things. And what we see in the research is that when individuals start engaging in healthy behaviors like moving their body and getting um, an appropriate balance of nutri nutritious foods and they're you know getting enough sleep they're drinking enough water they're taking care of and managing stress and anxiety when they're doing those types of things their health markers improve independent of whether their weight changes or not some individuals weight will change some won't but their health markers what we see is consistently their health markers are improving regardless of whether the weight has changed or not and this is where it becomes a problem that we're saying well if your weight hasn't changed then it's a problem but if you start engaging in some of these healthy behaviors and subsequently your weight changes okay but if it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not actually improving your health because because what we see in the research is like cholesterol is improving, you know, cardiovascular strength is improving. And there's some individuals where their weight didn't change. So this is where it's important to, again, instead of having weight loss be the forefront primary goal, it's like, what things do I need to do to improve my health? What behaviors do I need to engage in in order to improve my health? And can I start looking at other health markers to determine improvement instead of just oversimplifying things under the umbrella of weight? Do you, do you think that, and I don't want to bash the doctors here, but I have had some horror stories come through, and I'm sure you have had some horror stories come through your door about, mm -hmm. you know, weight stigma in 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 a in the medical office with the with the doctor and uh, the summation of somebody's not self worth necessarily maybe as well, but health in just that number, just that BMI number, just that weight circum uh, weight circumference, just that weight, and this lack of a, a holistic. Uh, approach to how to improve someone's health and it becomes so reductionist into lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And while maybe those things may help, there's it's there's a better way to go about it and there are more healthful ways to go about it. And if weight's a by, weight loss is a byproduct, then fine. But it, it, w going back to that original question, is like, do you feel like that person who wants to lose weight but is also wants to accept uh, you know fat acceptance or wants to accept their body and, and understand that they are more and they don't need to lose fat mm -hmm. to be validated and be loved and 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 appreciate their body are they supposed to look at it and I and I I suppose I would agree with this through a lens of improving their quality of life and v understanding that there may be parts of their quality of life what maybe it's their physical ability to get up and move and play with their kids and go for a walk and are they supposed to change their viewpoint is that something that you find would be helpful for them to be able to allow themselves to say, hey, I'd like to be in a smaller body, but it's not for reasons of validation. It's not for my ability to to know that I am uh, showing up in the world as a daughter, as a friend, as a worker, as whatever those things are. Is that kind of the approach that, that they would benefit from having? Yeah, so I think, well, first, going back to your initial point, 
the doctor, the stories, like horrific stories from, you know, medical professionals. The thing that I want to say is, um, I don't think people get into the medical industry because they want to hurt people, but I do think that they're, you know, we have to understand that some of our, and I'm not a medical or mental health professional, but we have to understand that, you know, so I'm a certified eating psychology coach. So I operate from this lens, but what we have to understand is that, you know, even our general doctors and specialists, they operate from one lens, like their specialty or being a general doctor, they have a general knowledge of a lot of things, um, but they don't specialize. And then some specialists specialize, specialize in one thing. And so you have to be responsible to be the your own best advocate for your health and question everything. Question what I say, question what doctors say, question what everybody says and figure out what feels right for you. And I would encourage everyone to um, interview doctors and look for doctors who um, practice a health at every size, intuitive eating approach to their practice, because you're going to find a little bit more holistic approach. Um, and there are doctors out there who do now there's a lot who don't, and they're influenced very heavily by what we're all influenced by. And that is this diet culture narrative that smaller equals better. And so we have to advocate. And the good news is if you're listening to this, you are at the forefront of a grassroots movement of people who are pushing back and saying, I'm no longer going to feel this external pressure that my body is the problem. I'm going to look for more answers. I'm actually going to do this radical thing called self-acceptance and not feel like I have to fit, fit this thin ideal. I can be confident and beautiful and live an amazing life in, you know, in this body or in that body it's, it's bubbling up and you're starting to see it because clothing brands are expanding their sizes and, and people are Photoshopping less because people are saying, Hey, this isn't realistic. So it's starting to happen. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the medical industry, we have to be advocates. So if for, for ourselves, so if you're going into a doctor and they say, oh, you need to lose weight. Well, it's your responsibility to push back and to say, okay, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but can you tell me what other health markers we're looking at to determine whether or not I'm healthy? What other health markers are we looking at? What do I need? What else in my body is, you know, needs to improve so I can focus on looking at myself from my dynamic standpoint. And, and when it comes to just the desire to maybe be in a smaller body so that I can, you know, I have, I have better agility. I can get up, I can play with my kids. Like there's nothing wrong with those types of things, but can we make these goals focused on instead of I want to be in a smaller body or I want to lose weight, if these are some of the goals, can it be, I want to have the energy. I'm just, and again, a, losing weight might be a byproduct of these goals very well could be, but can we set our primary focus on things like my goal is to have the energy and the cardiovascular strength to get up and play with my kids without being fatigued, without running out of breath. I want to do that. And then what happens is we do things like maybe we, we do cardiovascular exercises or we do different things to improve that. And we improve, like we're able to play with our kids longer. We're able to go on longer hikes. We're able to do these things. And, and, you know, again, weight being not the primary focus is really important in terms of just what we see in the research. So you, if you're ever going back to weight as the primary focus, can we break it down into some other things and focus on these other goals that will keep us going and, and not build this internal pressure that eventually becomes too much where we snap and we end up with the screw it mentality, the last supper mentality. Oh, I'm never going to get there because what happens when you're incrementally seeing yourself being able to play five, 10, 15 minutes longer with your kids 
but the scale only says two pounds and you're like, I've failed, but look at, you've just spent a whole nother hour that you usually wouldn't have been able to go out and hang out with your kids, but now you are, and that's massive improvement. So those are little wins that keep us moving forward in the direction that we're trying to go. That's excellent. That's excellent. And I'm thinking of the, from a nutrition standpoint, um, not viewing your food choices as a way to become into a smaller body, but maybe looking at it from a new, like just from a nutritious standpoint and, and, and feeding your body better nutrients so that you can have better energy and a better metabolism yeah. and, and whatever those things are that you want. What, how, where does nutrition education come into play when somebody wants to lose weight? Let's say that they're coming from a place where calorie counting is not a good idea that they're just not in a place right now where that uh, quantification will work with their psyche or, or is a positive impact on their life? Like, where does somebody start if they don't have any information about nutrition, about what, what foods might or what pattern of eating might help them get where they want to go? And maybe it is, we can keep that example. If I want to play longer with my kids, I want to feel better. And and where do I start nutritionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most people are pretty pretty good experts in nutrition, at least most people who struggle with their relationship with food because they've tried every diet. They've learned a lot about nutrition. But when we look at nutrition from the lens of like what's most helpful, we have to understand this concept of gentle nutrition, which means we're not robots. We're going to have cravings. We're going to want to have a drink occasionally. We're going to want to have the 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 ice cream, the treat. We're going to want to indulge. So we can't look at it from a place of being just these robots. Um, but we have to start by looking at a nutritional pyramid. At the bottom of that pyramid is um, quantity. We need to have enough food. It, nothing else matters if you're starving. It doesn't matter what your preferences are. It doesn't matter if you want to be a vegan dieter. It doesn't matter if you don't have enough. So, so it, it, once we focus on making sure that we're getting enough, we're getting adequately fed, then we go up the pyramid and we start looking on um, – variety. So it's really important that we have a a good balance of protein, carbohydrates, and fats in our diet because those things support different functions within our brain and body. Really, really important. So it's, and we need to know what proteins are, what carbs are, what fats are. We need to have an adequate balance of those things. And any diet that demonizes one macronutrient over the other is it's inappropriate because we, our body needs those things. Now we go up the pyramid and, and what becomes more important after that is that we are getting in our micronutrients. We need to make sure that we have vitamins and minerals, and then you get more of the pyramid. And then what becomes, you know, what can be more important now, all of these things, you know, on the the more important end of the spectrum also have to be guided by satisfaction. So we need to be getting enough. We need a healthy balance of macronutrients and micronutrients. But if you want to have a healthy relationship with food, it has to be led by satisfaction. So satisfaction is key in order to finding balance with food. If you deny yourself feeling satisfied, you will you might be physically and biologically full, but not satisfied. And that's when you can be full, but keep craving and keep eating. So can you be satisfied and honor the fact that you need a healthy balance of macronutrients, a healthy balance of micronutrients? Now you get to the top of the pyramid. And so all of these things, those are internal factors. You get to the top and there's external guides that kind of help guide our eating. And that might be your religious beliefs, why you choose to eat a certain way. You might have environmental things that you're passionate about. You might have um, moral values around certain foods, agricultural practices. So that might mean, okay, well, I'm really passionate about, um, you know, not eating 
somebody might say, I'm not, I'm passionate about not eating animal products or my religion dictates that, you know, we eat kind of this way, this, at this time of year, those things are things you can take into consideration, but not before we focus on all of these other things that are really important. And so nutrition, understanding nutrition is important, but understanding it to every gram of protein, carb, and fat, and every little morsel of what you're eating becomes cumbersome. It becomes obsessive. And we stop, we stop trusting that our body can guide us um, and, and guide what we're eating appropriately. And then we get into these cycles where we're only guided by external factors and not our internal cues. Excellent. When you talk about being satisfied, are you talking about focusing on, and it could be a, a wide ranging term, but maybe eating foods you like and not restricting those foods to a point or restricting any foods to a point where it's reducing your overall quality of life. How would you describe that satisfaction? And I know we're coming up close on time, so this will we can wrap up after this, but I'm curious what you mean when you talk about satisfaction. Yeah, totally. So satisfaction is um, super, it, so it's super important that we, we enjoy what we're eating. Now we want to, gentle nutrition is a principle of intuitive eating that says we also want to take care of our health. And so we gently guide ourselves in the direction of taking care of our health and getting healthy foods in, but even those healthy foods need to be satisfy, satisfying. Um, and so, so when you're eating, you need to enjoy what you're eating. It is super, super important that you enjoy what it is that you're eating. Otherwise, you, it's, it's, it's going to happen where you'll be physically, biologically full, but not satisfied and you'll keep craving and craving and craving. So even when you're trying to eat healthy, make sure you're doing so in such a fashion that you're enjoying it. We have to enjoy it. It's so important that we feel satisfied with the foods that we're eating, that we like what we're eating. And this is, and, and instead of feeling guilty for enjoying food, look at it as an act of self-respect. I'm worthy of enjoying food. I also want to take care of my body. So I want to eat healthy, but even the healthy foods that I'm going to eat, I'm going to make sure I like them. Maybe I'm going to make sure I marinate them in a way that I like, or I use seasonings that I like, or you know what, just because, you know, everybody in this diet says I need to eat tilapia. I don't like tilapia. I'm not going to eat it. I don't like it. I'm not going to force myself to eat something that I don't like. I'll swap it out for another alternative of something that I actually enjoy and I'm satisfied with. I, first of all, tilapia is gross for the record. And second, uh, I think you could take that the word diet or nutrition in that regard and replace it with the word exercise. And I would feel exactly the same way about that. If you don't, if you're yeah. not enjoying it, then you're not going to stick to it. It's not going to be able to be an addition to your life. And I think also there's, a, there's something where you, you gave it a bit of really nice nuance where it's like, okay, maybe even like the quote healthier food, the more nutritious food, like make it in a way that you enjoy. So even if it's, you don't absolutely love going for a walk, maybe you love going for a walk a little bit more if you do it over there by the river or out in nature or you go for a hike. So there are some times where you're up against something that you don't love with all your heart. It's not the most fucking fun thing in the world, but you yeah. can do it in a way. You can just change it a little bit and push yourself a little bit closer to enjoying it. And, you know, people, raise your hand if you like broccoli. First of all, I like broccoli, but whatever. Uh, not everybody does. And you, again, you don't need to, like you said, you don't need to eat broccoli, but you might come up to, a, you might come to a scenario where you're eating something because it's good for you, because you are you appreciate the result of it being nutritious and making it in a way that you at least enjoy more is important. I think it goes exactly synonymously for exercise. So I love mm -hmm. that a lot. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I know this this conversation might have struck a chord in some of you listening that 
you know, maybe I do have an unhealthy relationship with food or I don't really know, you know, how to kind of sort out what's going on in my brain. And what I always say is I know it can be overwhelming when you're struggling with your relationship with your with food and your body. And I, I want to take away the overwhelm for people who are struggling. And the best place to start is just by opening your mind to learning. Knowledge isn't necessarily power until it's applied and executed on consistently, but knowledge is a gateway. And so for me, I was really afraid of pursuing healing my relationship with food because I thought it meant I couldn't be confident in my own skin. I couldn't pursue my fitness goals. And I want everyone listening to know that you can have it all. You can have confidence in your own skin and a healthy, easy, effortless relationship with food and your body. And I talk, I talk a ton about this on my podcast, the Dear Body Podcast. I go into all these details of what it means to have really have it all. And you can have it all. And I want to reiterate that, that don't be afraid of pursuing healing your relationship with food. If it feels something like it, that's, that's scary and that's intimidating, just start diving into some resources. Grab a copy of Evelyn Triboli's Intuitive Eating Book. You know, check out the Dear Body Podcast. Start learning about these things, but don't feel like you have to give up your fitness pursuits either. You don't have to. You don't have to. And if you've you felt like that, if you felt the tension between, you know, the intuitive eating world and the fitness world, I don't want you to feel that tension. I want to bridge the gap because you really can have it all. You just have to understand how to do it. You have to understand how to work in sync with your brain. You have to understand the mental health, the, the spiritual health, the emotional health, as well as your physical health. So I'm here to just encourage people to believe that there is there is um possibility to really have to have it all. You don't have to have one or the other. You can have it all. You just have to know how to do it. I love that. That's excellent. And we're going to close on that. Jesse, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and your podcast and your, and your channel and everything? Yeah, totally. Like I said, the Dear Body podcast is where I hang out a lot. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jesse, J-E-S-S-I, Jean, J-E-A-N-N-N. And then um, I'm also um, doing a, I have a free, I want to share this because I think it'll be beneficial to a lot of people. It's probably the best free resource that I've ever created, but it is um, a food freedom holiday guide. Even if you're listening to this after the holidays, still get your hands on this because what I created in this ebook was a number of ways to respond to people when diet culture conversation comes up. I included hundreds of different response ideas. If you're going to the holidays or you're going to be in a, in a food situation or a social, social scene and somebody's commenting on what or how you eat or they're commenting on your body and it's really uncomfortable, we talk about a lot of different ways that we can divert out of those types of conversations. And then also in that guide, I include about 10 different videos on how to navigate the holiday food scene without spiraling out of control and binge eating. But I share a lot of tools and techniques in that guide that I teach the women inside the Food Freedom Online Program in terms of mental reprogramming techniques. So it's applicable even beyond the holidays. But if you go to www.risewithmemorningroutine.com and enter your email, you'll get a You'll get access to my free holiday morning routine challenge, as well as I'll send you a copy of that ebook. Um, that's a great place to start just getting some actual tangible tools and techniques. So yeah, but I'm on Instagram. I'm on the podcast. That's primarily where I hang out. Excellent. Very cool. I'm absolutely going to sign up for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Jesse. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan, so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.